All right, and welcome back to Podcast PD. We are very excited because we have a guest in this episode, but at the same time, we're down a man. We we are without AJ tonight. I know he's on a well-needed vacation. Yes, he earned it. He 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 submitted his paperwork and we granted him leave from the podcast for this episode. But just for this episode, he'll be back. Um He'll be back. And our next episode, right? He didn't submit any other documentation to say otherwise, so. All right. <laughs> but we do have a, a second guy. We do have a second guy. We are pleased to welcome into the fold for this episode. Um, as you can see by the title and the artwork uh, and the tweets, we, we'd like to welcome New Jersey's own Rich Chiz to Podcast PD. Uh, Rich is the author of the newest education book, The Four O'Clock Faculty, a Rogue Guide to Revolutionizing Professional Development. Rich is obviously an educator, and he is on a mission to revolutionize professional learning for all educators. Welcome to Podcast PD, Mr. Chiz. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, PD is one of my passions and ready to talk about it and share some of my thoughts on it. Currently, I'm a principal of a second and third grade building in South Jersey. And previous to that, I worked in the world of curriculum. So I was a supervisor for a year and then a director of curriculum for a few years, uh, which is where I was responsible for really planning professional development for a lot of staff members. And that is kind of where I found that professional development was lacking for a lot of our, our staff. So it was something that over time I began to work on and tried to change the PD paradigm within our district. So it's something that's kind of carried over with me and eventually led to the book. Now, something we're always curious about, especially when we get the opportunity to talk with an administrator such as yourself, what led you to go from the classroom into administration? So I had a kind of a transition period into administration, and I started as a fifth grade teacher working with math and science. And my partner teacher did language arts and social studies. And then I eventually transitioned into a math coach role and a technology coach role, which kind of gave me that sense of working with teachers. So that is kind of where I became passionate about uh, really helping adults to learn and helping staff members to learn and to kind of grow in their own learning that's really where it kind of took off for me to be an administrator. So I spent a couple of years in that coach role. I was doing some pseudo administrative tasks in that role, uh, but really also a lot of professional development. Uh, eventually, I went the curriculum route. What I found was that I was kind of missing missing the building piece. So in my uh, director of curriculum position, I was traveling between five buildings. I was working with a lot of teachers. I was doing a lot of professional development. Uh, but I was really missing the kids. So I eventually wanted to get back into a building. Uh, I had the opportunity to take this principal job, uh, which I'm in now, uh, which I absolutely love getting to still work with teachers, uh, but also getting into the classroom every day and seeing what kids are working on and getting into the lunchroom and you know being outside during recess and when buses are coming and going. And uh, it's just an awesome experience. That sounds fantastic. That's... Um... It's a really nice way to get into that PD piece. It sounds like a really natural thing to start in the classroom, 
and then move into that coaching position and then see what's lacking and then be motivated and driven to take that to the next level. It's something where I did see firsthand kind of what was missing for teachers and and find that what teachers were getting was not necessarily meaningful and relevant. Those are the two words that I like to use all the time. And when you say meaningful and relevant, what does that look like for you? It has to do with their jobs. And um, I talk about an example in the book uh, of something that I had as a teacher. As I said, I was a math and science teacher. And I was kind of forced to sit through uh, a bunch of sessions throughout the year on a writing rubric. Uh, So it was a writing rubric that I was not using in the classroom, but sat in on those sessions and felt like I was missing out the whole time. And uh, so that's kind of where it stems from. It, It should be something that's meaningful to what our teachers are doing in the classroom. So whether it is subject area specific or something that's technology driven, uh, but it it really should be relevant to what they're doing. Uh, One of the other examples that I always love to use is we used to force our school nurse to come to our staff meetings after school. And a lot of times we were talking about language arts or whatever it may have been in the kind of curriculum instructional route. And our school nurse was often forced to sit through that. So even for some of those people who are in kind of the lonely positions, as I call them, where they're the only person in the building, they should be getting something that's meaningful to them as well. So how do you do that? How do you, because I imagine that your school nurse is attending the faculty meeting because like teachers, she's obligated and beholden to the contract. So how do you marry the two? You know, there's a contract that has to be upheld and then, you know, you're taking care of her learning and making sure that you know, getting the most of what she, or, you know, that she's there for the right reasons, I guess, um, in, in the faculty meeting. Do you, do you ever have a conflict with that? I guess is my question, really. So when I was in my uh, curriculum role, what I tried to do being in charge of curriculum and uh, professional development was really make sure that everyone was getting what they needed. So what we did with the nurses in particular there uh, is instead of you know requiring them to come to that monthly staff meeting in the building, uh, we would have them meet up with the other nurses. Uh, So I know a couple times we had some outside trainers come in, talk about a couple of different things uh, involving head trauma and really what's going on with concussions and students and athletics. And then uh, we would have them come to the meetings if necessary. So if the nurse had to share something that was relevant to the rest of the staff, we would have them attend those meetings. Uh, But it's really kind of trying to make sure that you are giving something to everyone. So, you know, sometimes there are things that you're going to have to share within that staff meeting, uh, trying to involve as much choice as possible. Um, it could it could involve a staff meeting where you are utilizing stations. So, you know, teachers are kind of choosing what types of things they are learning about during that meeting. Uh, but you really have to take a lot of time and effort as someone who plans professional development to make sure that you are giving something for everyone. Rich, with your passion for professional development, I I think one of the bigger things that you are known for and recognized for is the four o'clock faculty website and the blog and and the content that you're putting out there for all to see. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to creating four o'clock faculty, which started as this blog and website? The four o'clock faculty blog and website kind of started uh, a few years back uh, I was actually reading a uh, website on a daily basis called Grantland, which um, was a sports sports website. A lot of different authors kind of sharing 
uh, a lot of different viewpoints and, and passions about sports. And that was kind of something that inspired me. And I said, wouldn't this be awesome that there was a place for educators to kind of share what they're doing within the classroom or what's happening within the educational realm? I really didn't know how to start it. I really didn't know, you know, much about blogging or websites or any of those things. And so I actually reached out to one of my former colleagues, Trevor Bryan, uh, who I started with uh, it, when I was teaching as a fifth grade teacher. He was my student's art teacher. And he also shares a passion for uh, sharing uh, within education and collaborating. So I tell the story in the book as well. Uh, there was a snow day uh, back in January of 2015 when it all began. And I had a snow day and I had a chance to pump out two blog posts. And that's where it all began. But uh, it really gives me an opportunity to kind of go back and look at what I was learning at a certain point in time. It really gives me a chance to reflect on my own learning. So uh, writing about that does help me to kind of process what I'm working on at any given time. Tell us a little bit about your process. I know this, right, because we spoke about this at an ed camp, but I think our listeners who you know might be interested in starting their own blog or becoming reflective in their teaching practices might um, glean some insight from your, from your habit. Uh, it is about that writing process, and I think everyone's writing process is different. Um, I know that you know just working with Trevor, he works a lot differently than I do. Uh, what I tend to do is try to generate my ideas. Uh, I have a, a relatively long uh, commute. I had a longer commute in my previous district, uh, but now I have about an hour in the car each way every day, and I try to generate some of my ideas as I'm driving uh, so what I like to do is record them uh, on my phone uh, in the kind of a uh, audio app and just record those ideas and then kind of take them from there. So when I have a, finally have a chance to sit down and go back and look at, okay, here's an idea that I was thinking about as I was driving home. Let me now sit down and turn that idea into a blog post. And for me, that that writing process is almost therapeutic. Uh, it gives me a chance to kind of think about some different things that I want to continue to learn about, has me process some of the ideas that I want to take and, you know, actually turn into something in my school setting. And, you know, just gives me a chance to really get those ideas out there uh, and hopefully to learn from others. So when people are able to share, hey, that makes sense or that's a really good idea. I'm going to take that and use that in my school. Then I kind of know that I've, I've turned on to something. There was a point in what you just said that I really liked and Stacy might follow me. She might not. I don't know. But you said you sometimes record yourself via audio to yeah. build your content to these written blog posts. Did I hear you correct? You did hear me correctly. I think it would be more therapeutic if you had a podcast. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I think I think I actually said that last time I well was the was the last time I saw you in February. I believe so at at one of the ed camps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is when we were talking about your blog and we were talking about your book. But I think I said the same thing to you. But maybe I just held it to myself because I'm not a pusher like Chris is. But he is right. <laughs> this, he'd make a great podcast host. Four o'clock faculty podcast has a great ring to it. Absolutely. And the, the idea has come up several times. Um, and I've been talking to Trevor a lot about getting that started. Uh, we always feel like we're working on a million different things 
at the same time, but it is something that uh, has at least made its way to the back burner. All right. So at least it's on the stove. Chris won't let it simmer for too long. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, if you got a lot going on, I know a really good podcast producer you can get in touch with. Okay. Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll get that name from you when we're done. It's me. <laughs> I'm just going to spoil it right now. I, I, I knew, uh, I knew as much. <laughs> so the other thing, when you said that you were recording, um, some of your thoughts and ideas, I tend to do that when I go running, especially if I'm trail running, I, there's like a lot of clarity in that. So I know that habit. I, my problem is that lots of my ideas kind of stay in the memos app on my phone. So I applaud you for, you know, really fleshing out your ideas and sharing them publicly. I've gained a lot of value from your um, from your blog posts, and I appreciate that you tag me in them all the time. For people who haven't checked out Rich, uh, Rich's blog, the one that he does with Trevor, I highly recommend that you go to fouroclockfaculty.com and uh, give it a little look. There are a couple that I wrote down um, that I want to share with my administrators, talking about professional development and just kind of you know changing the culture of the school and of and the the school climate and everything. Um, we're getting a new AP in the fall and she's going to be in charge of PD. So these are things that I definitely want to bring to her attention, but also my other two administrators. So I believe we're somewhere over a, a two or three year period. We are somewhere over 400 different posts that went up between Trevor, myself and a couple of other uh, guest writers as well. Um, but it is one of those things where I think early on, I was thinking that posts needed to be longer and I was cranking out some 1500, 1800 word posts. And over time, I think the style just kind of changed. Uh, I'm inspired by Seth Godin, uh, who, you know, was kind enough to provide an endorsement for the book. Uh, but he is someone who writes every day and sometimes it's as short as a couple of sentences. So, uh, what I've learned from him is that it doesn't always have to be uh, long in order to have an impact. It can be can be just a couple of words. So uh, that is something that over time has uh, been something that I've worked on and and is kind of I've I've adapted my style to that. Just make your content as long as it needs to be. Don't don't do don't do less. Don't do more. Just just write. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of interesting that you say you went from that long format to a short format because now I feel like you've come full circle and you've written an entire book. Do you want to talk to us about that process? Yeah. So the book uh, kind of did stem from a couple of blog posts that I did early on uh, related to changing the professional development model within a school or district. And again, it was something that was kind of inspired by my role uh, within the curriculum and professional development uh, realm. And I was just finding the teachers weren't getting what they needed. So uh, I wrote a couple of posts about that on four o'clock faculty. And then the posts kept coming with regard to professional development and really changing that model. So eventually I kind of sat down and said, uh, let me write a, a book about this. And I reached out to a couple of different educators um, who had written books uh, to find out what the process was. I then reached out to Dave Burgess of Teach Like a Pirate fame, and I was fortunate enough to join up with the uh, Dave Burgess Consulting Group in order to write the book. And as I said, some of it stemmed from some early uh, blog posts, uh, so there was some information there, uh, but then it was really kind of fleshing that out and turning that into a book. 
Uh, and the number one thing that Dave said to me when I was getting ready to write the book is this needs to be your manifesto. You know, if you feel passionate about professional development, you need to lay it all on the line and get it out there. And you need to say exactly what needs to be said regarding professional development. And I really tried to do that in the book. Uh, it is about educators taking charge of their professional learning. And I know, Stacy, we have, you know, we've been to a bunch of different ed camps together. And I know, Chris, we've been to a bunch of different ed camps and conferences together. And what I noticed is the majority of people that I'm seeing at those conferences are people who I'm seeing over and over again, and they are taking charge of their professional learning. Uh, but I think there are a lot of educators who are out there that are not necessarily taking charge. They're assuming that it is somebody else's responsibility. And this book is all about taking responsibility for your own professional learning, your own professional development, uh, getting exactly what you need, um, changing the culture surrounding professional development, and uh, really taking advantage of the tools that are out there in order to do that. Yeah, one of those points you made, Rich, I can think of a handful of people I work with right now who will readily say, why should I give up a Saturday that, you know, our district gives us the PD we need for the year? Why, you know, why am I doing that? Some of us get it and some of us don't. Yeah. And, and often I would say that in many districts, they are not, teachers are not necessarily getting what they need. So even though those PD days are filled and there's half day PD days and full day PD days, the biggest piece that's missing, I think, is that carrying it back to the classroom is instruction and learning looking different in the classroom because of that PD. And if it's not, that's when you need to go out on your own. Absolutely. And and really what districts are doing with what they provide you, they're providing you the seat time. But again, is the content there for you to, like you just said, bring back to your classroom? Absolutely. And I, I think ultimately that's what it comes down to is our learning outcomes for students being impacted by the professional learning that is taking place. Now, one of the big things that I've seen you present on, and I know that, again, again you just described, you know, this book is your manifesto. It covers your passions and your desires for professional development. And one of those things is switching up the staff meetings, as I've seen you present on it, Stacey, we've, se we've seen it as well. Um, what does that mean? And, and why is that important to you? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, again, I've been in any number of staff meetings where uh, I'm sitting and being talked at for an hour, and um, you know I've I've seen enough and learned enough over my years of education to know that uh, no one learns that way. Uh, some, people, you know, there's a handful of people who might learn from uh, direct instruction, but uh, there's too many staff meetings that still go on as a lecture and uh, as a list of policies and procedures for how things should be going. And it really needs to be focused on professional learning and professional development. As a current building principal, uh, my goal is always to model exactly what I want to see from my teachers in the classroom and what types of learning should be happening with students. I want that same type of learning to be happening with our teachers. So as an example, last year, uh, we did a uh, QR scavenger hunt. I put a number of different QR codes up around the building. Our teachers had to work in collaborative teams to race around the building, uh, to scan the QR codes, uh, and then to share some excellent resources with their colleagues. Uh, so it's a lot of 
technology. It was technology driven, uh, but it was really about modeling how they could take that lesson and utilize it with their students. Uh, and I was proud to say that the best thing that came out of that a week later was uh, a QR code scavenger hunt for our second grade students. And so teachers took that idea, they ran with it, they took it in a different direction, but an awesome direction nonetheless. So, you know, again, those staff meetings should be utilized to model for teachers uh, what types of instruction should be happening with our students. You know, that modeling piece is really important. You know, it has to look and sound like you want it to in the classroom. And I just um, got through a week of half days with our ninth grade teachers who are going to be going one-to-one next year. And a lot of what we did and the way we planned the training and the professional development is exactly that for it to feel like it will in the classroom when their students are sitting in front of them with Chromebooks and um, moving them towards that more traditional, um, you know, sage on the stage vibe to that, you know, more, student-directed feeling of, you know, you, you don't need to know all of the answers for the technology to just help them out with the content and kind of let them lead the way in their own learning and show you what technology can do for them. So I was just, I got lost in, in like kind of going back in time to what last week looked like for, for some PD in my district. So I'm happy to hear that that's what it looks like in your district are you responsible for a lot of the PD where you're at now? Uh, it's funny. Actually, I'm not, uh, which is a nice thing because, again, I, I did that for a few years. And uh, it's nice to be able to connect with uh, those educators in my building on a daily basis um, and really turn around the culture with professional development in my building. Uh, we do have a curriculum supervisor who is in charge of PD for the district. Uh, I've also been working with her and the other principals in the district as well. We're a very small district only three buildings. So um, that type of message does spread quickly. So we are, it's nice to kind of work with someone on those PD things. We have started to infuse more choice into what's happening with professional development and infuse some of those other models instead of the sit and get and, you know, direct lecture models of PD. Rich, also in the book, you talk about effective use of one's PD time. What are some of your recommendations on how teachers can more effectively use their PD time? Yeah, so one of the chapters in the book is called Making Every Minute Count. And uh, unfortunately, in most districts, we don't have a lot of PD time. Um, I know in my own school, um, I have one staff meeting a month. Uh, we have one grade level meeting per month. And then we have a handful of half days as well as uh, a couple of full days for professional development. And it never seems like enough time. And so one of the things that, you know, I try to talk about in that chapter is is utilizing every minute. So one of the things that kind of was born from my last district was teachers are required to be at school 15 minutes before and 15 minutes, 15 minutes after students. And so how do we utilize that time? to, you know, give a, a quick dose of professional development. Uh, so one of the things that we did in my previous district was something called Tech Mex Tuesday, uh, where we kind of combined that idea of 
Tech Tuesday and sharing some different technology ideas uh, with Taco Tuesday from the Lego movie, uh, which I think some of you may be big fans of the Lego movie. Uh, and, uh, We're fans of all and, movies, and that's a good one. Yeah, so taking that idea of Taco Tuesday, and uh, it was 15 minutes after school, we would share an excellent resource or technology tool. And then we would also share some excellent Tex-Mex food. Uh, sometimes it was just some chips and salsa. Sometimes we brought in the quesadilla maker. But it was really about you know giving teachers a kind of fun, informal way to learn something new. And generally what happened was, even though they were required to be there only 15 minutes, it usually carried beyond that 15 minutes into teachers continuing to learn uh, through that model. I love that. And, that, you know, because we talk about food all the time on this podcast, I'm wondering, did you provide the food? Was it like a BYO or how did that work? Just because it's all about the logistics. As the director of curriculum, I was fortunate enough that um, we were able to provide the food from our end and teachers just had to show up and eat and learn. Uh, but I've also seen other models. Uh, we talk about in the book something called Lunch and Learn, uh, where, you know, you're just utilizing your lunch period, you know, once a week, once every other week to learn something relevant. And that could be as simple as, you know, bringing your own bag lunch uh, during that time, sharing with colleagues and uh, really learning something during that time. So I think it can work both ways. You know, it is fortunate when you're able to provide teachers with something uh, to eat during that time. Uh, another thing that I know I have worked with is uh, really reaching out to vendors. Uh, so there's a lot of vendors. There's a lot of local restaurants and bagel shops uh, that will help you out in, in that regard and help to get you some food. Uh, you know, and I think of all the different restaurants that our teachers frequent a lot. Um, usually if our teachers are there a lot, they're willing to help out with that process as well. That's brilliant. That's some really good stuff. So I love I just love the cover and I feel that it says everything, right? So the four o'clock faculty, a practical, and then that's crossed out, rogue guide to revolutionizing professional development. So talk to us about being roguish in your PD. What does that mean? Sure. So that kind of stemmed uh, from an early morning writing session uh, for a long time for the past year, I was getting up at about 4.30 every morning to do some writing. And um, one morning I was kind of, you know, some morning it comes out and there's, you know, three sentences by the time I'm done writing for an hour. And um, sometimes, it, you know, inspiration just hit me in those mornings. And that kind of came from an inspirational morning uh, at 4.30 a.m. Uh, writing about rogue learning. And it was... Uh, in talking with a former colleague who felt that he and his um, current colleagues were not getting what they needed at their staff meetings, uh, decided to have their own meeting once a week. Um, so they would find a blog post or something relevant from Twitter, and they would share that at the beginning of the week. And then by the end of the week, they would all sit down to kind of discuss what they had learned from the blog post or the article. And that's kind of where the idea came from. And Rogue actually stands for a Relevant Organized Group of Underground Educators. And so it kind of takes on that underground spirit of 
listen, we're not getting what we need from the administrators here, so let's do it on our own. Um, and it's kind of that DIY culture and, and do it yourself. Um, if I'm not getting what I need, then I'm going to find a different way to get it. And that's kind of where that rogue spirit comes from. I love it. And I just love the spirit of of having those like underground meetings to, you know, really take care of your own learning when it's not being given to you by your district. Yeah. Again, it's something where if you are a passionate educator and, and I think it's the same people who show up on those Saturdays at ed camps, you know, all over New Jersey and all over the East coast. And, um, if you're not getting what you need, or even if you're getting what you need, there's always more out there that you can learn. So, um, really doing everything you can as an individual to make sure that you're learning as much as you can. Now, Rich, as a building leader and administrator, however you want to describe it, do you find yourself now having to supplement the professional development that you get as an administrator? And if so, how do you do that? I just met a couple of days ago with uh, one of our other building administrators, and uh, we kind of sat down and talked about all the different ways that uh, we were trying to improve. Uh, so it's interesting because we didn't get a chance to do that a lot during the school year. Um, you know, as, as we're both very busy, uh, but this summer, you know, we kind of planned on let's sit down and talk about, you know, what we're learning and, and how we want to move forward. And it is something where it's a lot different now. Um, topics that I was interested in, you know, when I was in the curriculum realm are a lot different than now that I'm in uh, the professional uh, or principal realm. So it, it's, it's very different in terms of, of my learning. Um, I do find myself, you know, looking at some different topics, um, connecting with some different people as well. Uh, but it is something where I kind of have to supplement and, you know, more chats on Voxer or Twitter, um, connecting with some different administrators as well. You know, I've really struggled to get my own PD as well, kind of because you're in that not one-off situation, but there isn't a lot of opportunity where PD is coming at you from on high, right? So being rogue about your PD, and I guess as a principal, I guess most principals really have to go that route and kind of take care of their own learning, whether it be, like you said, through Voxer and Twitter chats, or just finding a counterpart within your district and, you know, having a, um, you know, a conversation or a discussion. Um, Chris, what did we call them? those groups, mastermind group. Yes. Um, you know, just kind of developing that way and, and keeping each other accountable. That's awesome. Well, and, and one other group I would say is huge, which um, I probably inadvertently missed is uh, my teachers. Um, so, you know, I will constantly refer to myself as an educator. Um, you know, I don't like to um, utilize the title of principal, and it's one of those things where, you know, I consider myself a collaborator within my building. So I'm learning as much from my teachers as I hope that they're learning from me. And a lot of times they're coming to me with ideas. Hey, I want to try this. What do you think? And, you know, I'm learning as much from that as as anyone else. So I think that's another group where even though that principal is in a building by him or herself, um, it is something where if you have passionate educators within the building, then everyone is going to continue learning. 
I totally agree. We were, I was just having that conversation with one of the assistant superintendents in my district and how um, if I had to go back into the classroom tomorrow, I would be such a better teacher for having been out of the classroom for the past five years and being able to see the phenomenal teaching that takes place in my district. So I am right there with you. There's so much to learn from our colleagues, whether they're in positions that are higher than us or lower than us. It doesn't really matter just as long as the learning is taking place and you're being open to the learning opportunities that are given to you. So um, as our final question for this interview portion, and then we'll get to the other parts of our show, but um, describe your ideal PD experience as a learner or as you know, a presenter of the learning. You know, what does that look like for you? For me, ideal PD, I think, is something where uh, I have a choice and I can be active and moving. Uh, I had a chance to attend the National Principals Conference this year, which was in Philadelphia, and I get lost in those things. So it's there's so many good sessions. I'm popping into lots of different sessions, connecting with other educators. Um, so I think for me, it has to be something where I have choice to attend what I'm interested in, um, but also to kind of get up and moving. I love interactive sessions where I am you know, actively engaged in something. So if it's a, a lesson being modeled and I can actively engage in that lesson as if I'm a student, uh, I think that helps. And then I'm also a, a visual learner. So anything where I can kind of see something and learn from it, I think that helps me as well. And I'm going to follow up with the second part of the question, which was about presenting. So what is your favorite thing to present on when you have the opportunity to lead professional development? I really love... Uh, presenting kind of on those student-centered models. So uh, really showing teachers what it looks like when students are in charge, involved, and uh, really having a lot of choice and voice within a lesson. So anything where I get to kind of show that off, um, really model for teachers exactly how to do that and have them engaged uh, in a lesson or uh, in a presentation is important. Uh, one of the things that I love to do, uh, which I, I borrowed this idea from uh, Jenny Majera, uh, who is on Twitter, um, and I saw her present a couple of years ago at ISTE, and she started a session with Ultimate Rock, Paper, Scissors, and I love to start my sessions with that now. Um, and it's for those of you who don't know, it's a game where everyone in the room finds a partner to play Rock, Paper, Scissors. If you lose, you then become a cheerleader for the person that you lost to. And eventually the entire room um, starts playing and it boils down to two people and ultimately one winner. Um, but it is such an awesome tool to engage everybody right at the beginning of a session and get everybody up and moving and having fun. And then the learning can proceed from there. So it's an awesome way to start a session. And uh, I love including that in my sessions. And I remember doing that with you. I think we were at TCT when you did that. Yeah, it, it's a fun time. And I've, I've done it, you know, in my uh, former district where we had close to 350 staff members involved. And uh, it's always funny how quickly that goes because with about 350 people, I think within four minutes, we were down to one winner for the, for the entire room. Rich, when you play, just natural follow-up question here. Uh, what do you throw first most often? What do I throw first? Uh, I would say rock. All right. Now I can beat you. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, there is such a strategy involved to, to rock, paper, scissors. I used to work with a colleague who uh, was a member of the uh, National RPS Society. Uh, and, you know, there were a lot of different strategies. So he was uh, he was the student of the game and uh, he he absolutely loved playing and kind of taught me a few tricks. So there are tricks to rock, paper, scissors. We're yeah, there's some different next time I see you. Yeah, there there are definitely some uh, strategies that you can utilize. Um, and while I'm on the subject of rock, paper, scissors, if anyone has not picked up um, the legend of rock, paper, scissors, uh, it's a picture book. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I read it to my kids all the time. Uh, absolutely amazing book about rock, paper, scissors. I saw that in the bookstore. And then I, I, I think you wrote about that in your blog, right? Five books to read this summer. I did, yes. Okay. Yeah. And I added um, option B to my list for my overdrive app. Um, So she wrote option B and I remember seeing an interview with her um, after she wrote it and some of the backlash she got from it. She also got backlash for lean in, but it's amazing. Yeah. So I'm totally intrigued by that. And there were some other really good books on that list as well. Well, hopefully Rich doesn't get any backlash for his book. <laughs> I don't think he will. And um, and I'm super excited to get my hands on it. I haven't gotten my copy yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I can't wait to read it and then talk about it more on the podcast, even without you. I'm sorry, but I, I will definitely be boxing you and singing your praises because I've loved all of the PD that I've ever attended with you and just the one-on-one conversations that we've had. Um, so even without the book, I think at some point we would have had you on the podcast just to talk about, um, your views on professional development and what you do to keep it relevant and exciting and engaging for everyone. Hey, Rich, I'm not going to lie. She's been talking about having you on here since January. So you, well, you've been, awesome. Thank you very much. You're high on the opportunity. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Super excited. So Chris, what's next on our agenda for tonight? Well, I just wanted to quickly recap for for everybody that obviously Rich Chiz is the author of The Four O'Clock Faculty, A Rogue Guide to Revolutionizing Professional Development. There will be a link to the book and all of Rich's content in the show notes for this episode at podcastpd.com slash 12. And make sure you check that out. Pick up your copy of the book. That'll be a lot of fun. So next up, we have what we're listening to. And just so Rich can play the game and know the rules ahead of time, we're going to talk about, and we'll let you go last so you can have time to think, uh, we're going to talk about things we've either watched on YouTube, podcasts we're listening to, and just kind of share that out with our listeners. Stacy, you're first. I'm first. So, um, yeah. All right. So I spent um, part of the weekend listening to our own podcast, so Podcast PD, and it sounds really shameful and kind of egocentric. But I did it with a critical ear. I'm trying to listen for some things that we need to cycle back to, especially when AJ is back on with us. But um, that's what gave me the reminder that our intent was to ask that question about um, describing our ideal professional development experience of our guests. And we did that with Mike. And I don't remember if we did it with Annie because I listened to her episode a while ago. Um, But I'm just catching up on my backlog of Podcast PD and listening, like I said, with a critical ear. And um, one of the things that I have to chuckle about is it seems that every time we talk about what we're listening to, I give you the number count on my podcast listening 
up. And right now my badge, and when I say badge, because I thought about that, it sounds kind of weird, but um, the little, I call them chicken pox, but the little dot next to my podcast app, uh, catcher is uh, at 836. It doesn't even look like a dot anymore. It's an oval. So I have 836 unlistened to podcasts. It just keeps getting bigger. I think the first time I even mentioned it, I was in the 600s. So stop giving me recommendations, Chris. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but you I, can recommend to everyone else. I think I'm, I'm just, just going to stop downloading for a while. I'm just looking forward to the day you tell us it's a four-digit number. Four? No, if it ever gets to four digits. And that's with deleting something. So it's really sad. Yeah, so I went back and listened to Podcast PD. Um, I, and like I said, just the past few days and only, I think, from like episode five and up. Like whenever our anniversary episode was. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. Well, no. I, I think, Stacy, I think you're going to have to start, uh, quit your job and start listening to podcasts full time in order to get all those uh, listened to. I can't. But part of my problem is I'm also an avid book listener because I don't have time to read. Yeah, I spent the entire weekend cleaning off the bookshelves in my in our in our living room. And I have you mean those full bookshelves that are right behind you? <laughs> yes, I'll take a picture so everybody sees it. But they're beautifully organized right now. And I have about 200 books sitting on the floor and on the couch in here because they're going to be donated either to my brother who has a baby. Um, so we have some board books. Yes, board books. I have a 10 and 12 year old and I have board books in the house. And then um, my sister is a first grade teacher. So she's going to get some of my series books. And then um, I have some books that I'm just going to end up donating to my kids school, which is how I amass so many books to begin with. But now that I'm not in the classroom and my son is no longer reading first grade material, I felt it was time to get rid of some of that stuff. So yeah, between all of my audio listening, the podcast is going to be up there in the thousands and I cannot quit my job because I like to buy books. Chris, what are you listening to? This week I find, and AJ is going to be mad at me because I'm going to talk about it when he's not here, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it again when he's back too. But I listened to Start It Up with Don Wetrick this week. And this week, Don released his long-awaited interview with Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, it's a phenomenal episode. Gary is obviously a dynamic entrepreneur, content creator, and Don had the opportunity to go to New York City and meet with Gary personally, sit down in the Vayner Media headquarters, and it was a great education conversation from somebody who pulls no punches and speaks his mind in Gary V. So obviously there'll be a link to that in the show notes, but it was a great episode. And then that led me down the rabbit hole of going to YouTube and then watching a lot of Gary V videos. So I just want to like go kick the world's butt and just accomplish so much. Did you sketch note any of the videos? I don't sketch note videos. Oh. I, just, I, I watch them. You could have sketch noted all of his interesting talking points. Okay, that could be in my learning for next time. I'll, I'll watch a video and sketch note it. Yes, please. I work on my bean people all the time. You know that. Yay. That was follow-up from what I was listening to. <laughs> How your bean people were coming. All right, Rich, what are you listening to? So I love uh, Malcolm Gladwell and his books. And last year he started the Revisionist History podcast series. And I don't know if you've mentioned this one on the podcast before, uh, but he really took what he does well with his books and turned that into a uh, podcast series. So 
Um, Revisionist History Season 1, I think, was out last summer. Um, this season, he started with uh, Season 2. Uh, the most recent one, which was super interesting, uh, was about McDonald's French fries. So uh, he talked about how uh, McDonald's changed their formula for their French fries when he was 13 years old, and it forever ruined his life. Uh, so it, it's a... a <laughs> okay. Uh, amazingly um, funny but interesting take on um, what it took for McDonald's to actually change their French fries. So what he does within the series is uh, takes a look at something that happened historically and uh, kind of examines whether we think about that thing in the right way uh, or in the same way as uh, time has passed. And then uh, probably my favorite episode from the series uh last season he did one on the song hallelujah and it was just a an amazing um amazing episode uh so he talked about how that song took a long time to finally get to where it was so i think it was close to 20 years of that song being written and rewritten and uh rearranged and uh, kind of the, the series of fortuitous events that led to that song becoming a, a popular song. Uh, so he kind of talks about, for creative people, um, creating art over a period of time versus uh, creating in short bursts. And uh, it's a, a really fascinating episode to listen to. Now, Rich, because I'd like to recommend podcasts to people, since you like that one, if you've never heard of the following, I suggest you check it out. And that is... The story behind podcast. I knew okay. you were going to say that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you can find it at the story behind podcast dot com. It is. It's a great podcast. I turned Stacy onto it, and basically, it's about it's all trivia, fun facts. Um, if you've ever gone down the Wikipedia rabbit hole, sure. this is a good podcast where they're you know less than ten minutes, and the host Emily Prokop just goes into really good detail. It's entertaining uh, about just random stuff. And it's the story behind fill in the blank. She did a whole thing on the story behind we didn't start the fire. And she went each era that he talks about in that song. And I cannot remember who the, he is who sang that song. Billy Joel. Thank you. I thought it was him and I didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> anyway, she talks about like, you know, when he, when, she, when he mentions specific people, she talks about that time period. I think she goes about a decade at a time. Um, so it's a bunch of short, um, short episodes all about We Didn't Start the Fire, which was amazing. She also did one on Forrest Gump, and that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll throw another podcast out there because I love, absolutely love podcasts as well. Uh, and that kind of reminds me of Song Exploder. Um, so if you have not listened to that one, Song Exploder um, takes a song and it talks to the artist or band uh, and – about their process for writing it. So it's a lot about, um, you know, creative process and what that looks like for different people. Uh, so there's an episode with Weezer that is really amazing. Um, there was a recent episode with Alt J, uh, that was amazing as well. So, uh, that's called song exploder. All right. So I'm going to follow up with two based on those recommendations <laughs> of Chris said the story behind and he mentioned Wikipedia, which reminded me of um, Ungenius, where um, one of my favorite podcasters, 
um, Mike Hurley, who lives in England. Um, he he co-hosts with um, some American guy whose name I completely forget. And uh, my kids and I enjoy listening to it because it's called Ungenius because it's basically like the stupidest articles off of Wikipedia. And they make it into this totally entertaining story about um, just things that shouldn't exist in the world. And right now there are no current episodes and I keep opening the wrong app. I'm sorry. Which, by the way, thank you, Rich Chase, because I added some more revisionist history because I, I abandoned that podcast for a while because it was just all becoming very overwhelming. But um, Ungenius, I'm trying to think, let's see, what are some of like bat bombs and bird guided missiles and how we fought wars with those animals. <laughs> um, yes. Let's see. Three unusual sports, six modern pyramids, the moon landing conspiracy theories. Um, selfie related deaths, little things like that. And ugh, my little guy just walked out and he's laughing at me because he loves ungenius. He thinks it's the best. Um, and then my second re- recommendation based on your recommendations, Rich, um, you said Song Exploder. So um, one of the podcasts that I really haven't listened to, but I have on here is The Yarn, which um, it talks to, it takes the listeners behind the scenes of children's literature and kind of unravels the process of making the book. Thanks for the recommendation, Stacey. <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's the <laughs> Stacey show tonight. So nice to have a guest. All right. So what are we learning this week, Chris? Well, what we're learning, um, well, I started a new project today as we record this uh, DIY project, YouTube combination, some websites, and I am building miles, a loft bed that I started today out of two by fours. Oh, don't tell Robbie because he would be so jealous. Doug was supposed to build him a loft bed and it never came to fruition. Well, I'm a day in and I'm almost done. So I definitely won't tell him that part. But yeah. All right. So I, I, I sourced it from uh, Anna White and Matthias Wendell. And I'll link to both of those in the show notes. Again, podcastpd.com slash 12. Um, great resources for woodworking and DIY stuff from both of them. And I kind of uh, mashed together two separate designs. So it'll be a loft bed with a deck. And he'll be able to climb in and out and it should be done uh, within a couple days. Okay. So a couple of follow-up questions on that. What okay. is a deck on a loft bed? It's in lieu of a ladder. So it's like a little platform. That's like, I think the height is maybe 22, 25 inches off the ground. So he can easily climb up onto that and then climb up onto the bed. Okay. And the original design, wait. the original design had like a little staircase that came off, but based on the footprint of his room, it, would have came out too far. So it'll just be the bed with the deck. And then part of me changing up the design was to make it a little taller than the plan said. So that way at some point I could build in a desk under the bed for him. So that was going to be my follow-up. Is there anything underneath? Because a lot of times loft beds are built to save space um, in bedrooms. So there'll be a desk or shelves underneath. For now, so it's going to be whatever his five-year-old mind can come up with to do under his bed. <laughs> Are you painting down there with like, um, with like chalkboard paint? Because that would be fun. No, I'm staining it and I'm finishing it with spray lacquer. My best friend. No, not on the not on the wood, but like the walls underneath the loft. I haven't decided yet. There is going to be a paint job in the room in the fall. 
I highly recommend, at least in that section, some chalkboard paint. I can barely tolerate him using chalk on the sidewalk. I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe go with some uh, dry erase paint. That might work, too. Oh, that's stinky, though. He does like the dry erase markers. Oh, they smell. I get the scentless <laughs> ones. Whatever. Rich, what are you learning this week? So, kind of related, um, I have been intrigued all summer by uh, purposeful learning spaces. Uh, so, what I am working on is uh, trying to do some innovation within how we are designing our classrooms. Uh, so, I've been doing a lot of learning about that. I attended a session uh, at the National Principals Conference with Darren Elwain. Uh, he's on Twitter and... Uh, so I've, I've tried to connect with him. He's doing a lot of kind of DIY projects within his school. He uh, runs a middle school, uh, but really about purposeful learning, like how are we using the space to its fullest capacity? So um, that's been something I've been working on. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a collaborative session with teachers right before school starts and hopefully uh, doing some pretty neat and innovative things with design in our building. And what does that look like? You know, because now you're the principal and so you control some of the purse strings. What does that look like as far as budget and getting teachers new furniture or, you know, kind of shifting out some of some of the old in favor of the new? Yeah. So uh, actually, we've tried to partner uh, with as many different groups as we can. Um, I had asked uh, parents if they had any kind of old, unusual uh, furniture at home that was still in good shape that they wanted to uh, donate to the school that they weren't using, we would take that. Uh, I've also partnered with our local um, hardware supply store, uh, and we're trying to get some shower board uh, from them to put outside of each of our classrooms uh, to use as dry erase boards. Uh, so it's kind of a cheaper alternative to ordering brand new uh, dry erase boards, which can be rather expensive. Um, and then we're also working to build an outdoor learning space for our teachers and students. So we have partnered with uh, a local um, uh, landscaper who is going to donate uh, about 30 tree stumps that we're going to try to set up uh, in an outdoor classroom as some seating options for students. So um, it actually has, as of now, uh, cost zero. Uh, we're going to be ordering some uh, some wobble chairs and some other things, which are going to add to the cost, but they're actually replacing uh, some older chairs that we have in the building. So uh, hopefully it's not going to be all that expensive and uh, it will provide some choice for students and, and give them some options in terms of their own learning. That's awesome. I love it. Very cool. And um, so, so what I'm learning this week, I already mentioned it with uh, the PD that I offered this week and just kind of modeling you know, the kind of teaching that we want to take place in the classroom. And that and that yielded a really awesome email that kind of thanked us all for our efforts and the work that we put into making the sessions meaningful and fruitful for her. And kind of, like you said, Rich, you know, just offering the choice and, you know, driving your professional development to suit your needs. And we gave teachers a lot of autonomy to do that. So um, that was like my big win for the week. You win. Yay. And Edu win. All right, Chris, do you want to take us out? Sure. Well, normally in this spot, we would talk about feedback we got, but we didn't get any. So that makes us sad. So if you're listening to this and you have some thoughts on this episode and what Rich has had to say, uh, 
you know what to do. Hit us up on Twitter, send us an email. Uh, all of that information is coming up and you can always go to podcastpd.com slash feedback and you can let us know what you're thinking about this episode or any episode that we've done. Rich, thank you for being here. Did you have a good thank time? Thank you so much. <laughs> I absolutely had a great time. Uh, it was a pleasure. Um, I always love to talk about professional development and uh, to continue learning. So I now have a bunch of podcasts that I need to add to my list and, uh, and continue one that you my learning. And need so. to think about um, recording. And, and one that I also need to think about recording. That's right. That, that's the so, big takeaway from today. Yeah, I have, uh, I have more to put on my plate as I walk away from tonight. So. And our audience members, our <laughs> listeners need to go out and get your book and check out your blog. And that would be awesome as well. Um, I am always thankful uh, for everyone that uh, that reads the blog and uh, now everyone who is sharing that they have uh, bought a copy of the book and are learning from it. So I uh, would love to hear from those people who are reading it and are taking something away from it. What are the best ways that people can get in touch with you? Uh, so I am on Twitter um, at R-H-I-Z, uh, C-Z-Y-Z, uh, nearly impossible name to spell. So hopefully we can share that in the show notes. Um, Absolutely. And then uh, through 4oClockFaculty.com. And just so nobody gets confused, 4 o'clock is spelled out with letters, no numbers. That's correct. Yep. All right, Rich, All right. We, we will have you back on in the future because you're not going to stop doing amazing things. So thank you again for taking time. And thank you guys and uh, enjoy your evening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Podcast PD. For links to all the resources mentioned in this and every episode, please visit our website, podcastpd.com. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at AJBianco. And I also blog at AJBianco.me. You can connect with me on Twitter. I am Mr. Nessie. And I would love it if you also checked out the House of EdTech podcast over on ChrisNessie.com. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at IronTech. And I blog at IronTech.me. Connect with Podcast PD on Twitter and Instagram at PodcastPD. We'd also love to have you as a member of our Facebook community. Go to podcastpd.com forward slash Facebook to join. You can help us reach more educators like you by telling someone else about the podcast. So share us with a colleague. And if you do it on social media, please make sure to tag us. Podcast PD is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators, podcast by educators. For more podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.